Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast, where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial independence. Now, please join our co-host, Dave and Brandon, as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome and thank you for joining us in episode 10 of the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. And thank you for continuing to support a few teachers that are just learning on the fly here in little old Onslow County. If you think that your story could help other educators and you'd be willing to come on the show, please shoot me an email at getfiteducator at gmail.com. With that being said, please welcome my co-host, Brandon Spies. Coach, how's life going over in White Oak Town? Happy to be here. Uh, just transitioned from football into wrestling. Uh, that's a big transition. And um, I still can't believe that we're wrestling. I thought with the pandemic and everything, they would never let us do this. But uh, we're on the wrestling mat. And so uh, I'm tired, but I'm here. And I'm definitely looking forward to hearing Chad's story. Yeah, it's just the, the life of a teacher coach is pretty tough right now. Now, I didn't go from football to wrestling, but I'm actually the head boys and girls tennis coach. So today I did like a joint practice with the boys and girls teams with like 33 kids. And tomorrow I've got an away match, which isn't bad. It's near Emerald Isle. I always enjoy that drive uh, to go play tennis up there against West Carteret. But then I've got, you know, somebody trying to run a girls practice while I'm on the road. So we're going to make it happen. That's what teachers do. We always adjust. Uh, And today we're doing a little bit of adjustment, coach, because we're going to have our first ever multi-episode interview. Uh, Our guest, Chad, to me, maybe not to anybody else, but to me, has such an amazing story and a wealth of information that we're going to be covering his story in his interview over episodes number 10 and 11. Tonight is part one, and Chad's going to give us uh, some basic background knowledge of his life and his, his money story. And in part two, maybe my most excited part of this little mini series that we're doing is Chad's going to do a deep dive on the ins and the outs of the basics of investing. And we're going to break it down. And for someone who doesn't know anything about investing, I feel like they're going to feel pretty confident about maybe making some of those moves heading forward. So please stick around for today and next week's episode. But I would like to welcome our first uh, history teacher to the show. How's it going up in Durham, North Carolina, Chad? It is going well, and it's such an honor uh, an honor to be your first history teacher. And, and listening to your podcast, I'm always baffled, baffled how it's always the math teachers, never the history teachers. So super excited about being here and thank you for having me on. Well, we greatly appreciate it. And we're going to start off with part one with just a little bit of a background about you, how you grew up, your family, what you're doing. So can you share with us maybe your age? Um, Are you married? Are you single? Do you have kids? What's that all looking like for you up in Durham? So I am married. And as I'm speaking to you, my lovely wife is sending me text messages of happy faces, money bags, and Mr. Moneybags talks about himself again. uh, (laughs) My my lovely wife is here somewhere. Uh, My lovely wife, Vanessa, uh, she works with me uh, at Jordan High School in Durham. Um, I have two amazing kids uh, when they're sleeping. Uh, I have Elena. She's uh, 12, about to be 13, or sometimes about to be 21. And I have Logan, who will be 10 years old pretty shortly um, as well. You're still in education, right? 
tell us a little bit about uh, your job in Durham and, and, and what you're up to there. So I started in January of 2004, which was kind of unique. Um, so my wife is just a little older than me. Um, so I was pretty much given the ultimatum to graduate in three and a half years rather than four. So graduating early, uh, I immediately knew that we were going to move to North Carolina. I had family that moved down to Charlotte, um, uncles that worked in the bank industry and so forth. Um, so I just celebrated, if I'm not mistaken, year 17 or 18. I should probably know that. but 17, 17 or 18 of what? Of, of teaching, sorry. Of teaching. Oh, I didn't know if you were talking anniversary. I was going to say, you better know that date. No, the anniversary date, I know. I, okay. I know that. Um, even though I get, you know, I never get the right gift, I guess. Um, I teach, so I teach ninth grade world history. Uh, and then I teach 11 slash 12th grade American history too. And hopefully none of my uh, 11th graders will hear this, but I love teaching ninth grade. Um, I'm the freshman academy department chair at my school. Um, I just, ninth graders to me are awesome. They're, they're young enough to still, I think, like school. Um, they're brand new to school, so they haven't figured out the system uh, the 11, 12th graders, man, they get the system really well. They understand it. They know the ins and outs and so forth. Um, so I just love it. I, I love teaching. Um, I, I recommend people to teach. I've told my daughter uh, and son to teach. Um, and, and hopefully, and I am hoping, I'm very hopeful this year, that North Carolina, uh, the General Assembly, is going to reward um, teachers really well and bring back that master's day, hopefully. Yeah, I hope really? so. Uh, you're kind of uh, opposite of me, Chad. Like I would, dis I think I would despise having freshmen. Um, I've often joked with my administrators that if you ever make me teach world history, like I will put in my 30 day notice immediately. And this year I actually had world history, but my principal worked some magic for me and shuffled some stuff around and Bob Blick stepped up to the plate, Brandon. And, uh, he took one for the team for me and I got to teach American history one. So I've always thought that 10th grade is kind of that sweet spot where to me, freshmen are super annoying. I really don't want to deal with them. They still look like they're in middle school. A lot of them 10th grade, they're mature enough to me to like sit down, have some conversations, seniors, especially second semester, they're done. They don't want to be there. Um, 11th grade's not bad. Brandon, what do you like? Which grade? I'll, I'll be honest, man. I kind of like them all. I know that sounds like a crazy answer, but I do. Um, cop out. I, it's, it's really not a cop out. Um, I've taught uh, I've taught world history for four years. I've been in civics for the past six. It really comes down to subject for me. Um, I, I, I enjoy teaching what I'm teaching right now with civics and economics. I really want to teach the personal finance course when it comes out. I, the age really it really it really doesn't matter that much to me. I, I like them all. I really do. Yeah. Kids are great. Regardless, you know, I think we, well, I didn't say that, but they're all the same. <laughs> uh, they're the, they're the same everywhere, but we do have the best job in the world where we get to we hang do. out and talk to kids all day. And just, you know, I don't want to make it seem like we don't really do anything and minimize our jobs, but if you truly have a passion for the classroom, which I think it's evident that all three of us do, we could probably sit here and talk education all night for three hours, not even talk money, uh, but we're going to have to move on to that. Uh, but as far as, uh, your job at Jordan High School, are you involved in any extracurriculars beyond maybe being the department chair, freshman academy? Have you coached? Is there any other sources of income that you have? 
So when I first got to Jordan, uh, and I'm from New York City, so not a lot of New York City people I grew up with didn't play tennis. Um, when I first got to Jordan, uh, like you um, guys, I was hustling, man. I wanted to make some money. So they came up to me and they said, hey, we want you to coach. Uh, and I said, all right, what do you want me to coach? And I will pay you around 700 bucks if you coach tennis. Now, I've never in my life had a racket in my hand. Uh, so I knew nothing about tennis, and I told my principal that. And he goes, well, if you don't coach it, we're going to probably have to cancel the program. This is a true story. I coached the girls my first season. I won coach of the year. Um, I happened to have one of the top state uh, girls on my team uh, who's ranked like three or four. And then for doubles, I had girls that ranked, you know, probably top five as well. Um, and I'm just sitting there for the Pac-6 conference and they're voting on, you know, coach of the year because we went undefeated. I'm just like looking around, not knowing what's going on. I don't know the terminology of tennis, and uh, but I had a, but I had a couple of uh, tennis kids' parents that would help me out. Go to go, to, and I don't think they're supposed to, by the way, but go to the um, go by the uh, cage or go by the fence or whatever. Tell the girls this and that, and uh, it was crazy. It was great. It was it was awesome. I gained 15 pounds because they always brought bagels and cream cheese during the uh, uh, the games and whatnot, and uh, it, it was really fun. It was fun. Um, and again, I learned a lot about tennis, but I will say, and this is where I give you two so much credit and teachers across the country um, credit, you don't get paid enough to coach. I, I hate to say that. You do it for the love um, of the kids and you do it for the love of the sports. Um, one of my best friends at Jordan actually coaches cross country. And I think one day he sat down and figured out he makes around a dollar 25 an hour, uh, if that much, but he would never, ever give it up. He loves it to death. Yeah, well, I think it might be uh, the whole conference coach of the year thing might be uh, related to your lookalike, like Andre Agassi. I could see that comparison there a little bit. You ever get that? I, I do not get that. I wish I did, actually. Um, you know, I, I get more of the, uh, you know, when it's kind of funny because when I was younger, you know, I would like students would be like, you know, if I was like 28 or 30, they'd be like, you know, you look like you're 21. And then once they started going a little bold over here, now that I'm 38, they say, yeah, I look like more like I'm 50. So I kind of missed like 15 years in the middle somehow, according to kids. So, and the funny thing is we just got back from, we just started face to face again uh, for a few kids and we've been Zoom the whole time. And a lot of the kids are like, you're a lot taller in person. You look a lot different in person. So it, it's kind of fun to see um, those kids. So for a while, I also taught for the North Carolina Virtual Public School. Um, that was a blast, actually. Um, I, I, I got in right at the great time when it first opened up in the summertime. can't remember what year, 2008, maybe. Uh, I think it was 2008 because I'm such a workaholic, and this is embarrassing to say, but I have a picture of my daughter being born, and she's in one hand, uh, or one arm, I should say, a laptop on my leg, and a cell phone calling a student with the online class. And, you know, again, I don't know if I would ever give that up for all the hustling I did because I helped out, you know, financially and so forth. But uh, like you and I talked about, Dave, because I know you love to do the side hustles and everything. I mean, I, I see you've also cut back a little. I'm sure you'll talk about that more uh, on your own one day on this podcast. But, you know, there's the pros and cons. You want to make that money early because you want that compound interest. But, you know, on the other hand, you... A lot of teachers do have side hustles and sacrifice a lot of time. So it's interesting. No doubt. Um, so <clears throat> you got into teaching, but growing up, what was your relationship with money like? 
did you grow up lower class, middle class? What kind of uh, advice did your parents give you? I can see that you're kind of laughing a little bit. I'm looking forward to the answer here. Um, But what was your relationship with money growing up? So my relationship with money growing up was interesting. Um, So uh, my dad right now lives in Israel. Uh, He's from Israel, born in Israel. Um, Left, got divorced when I was three and moved back. Uh, And mom just um, never really kind of held a job. Uh, grew up on welfare, um, grew up in a one-bedroom apartment, uh, slept in the living room on an open-bed couch. Uh, luckily for me, though, I had my um, grandparents that lived a block and a half away, uh, walking distance. Like I said, I grew up in Queens, New York. And um, my grandfather also, I mean, got it, you know, dropped out of school, I think, at seventh grade. Uh, grandmother never had a job because that was obviously uncommon for, you know, a wife to work back in the day. Um, I think when he retired and I would say... 1997 or so, he was making $23,000 a year. Not a lot of money. Um, very embarrassed growing up about being poor. Uh, lied about it to a lot of people. People would see my mom, you know, uh, go to the grocery store using food stamps and stuff like that. Because, you know, not to be funny, nowadays they have like the benefit cards or the WIC. Or I, I remember I tell my kids in school, when we were younger and you got free lunch like I did, you had like a little coupon book. You had to give it to the, the lunch ladies and everyone saw your business where now, at least in my school, you just give a number. You know, I'm number eight, three, seven, four, five, which everyone has a number. Even the wealthiest kids who drive BMWs, if their parents put money on their account, you know, they just give them the number. Um, but I will say, and this is kind of a funny joke. I don't want to get, uh, I don't want the, <laughs> the Jewish community to come at me because I, I am Jewish, but I, I joke around and say, having a Jewish grandfather helped, um, you know, just growing up and him teaching me that, you know, I remember when I was a young kid, he would say, what's the most important thing in life? And me being me, I said, family. And he would tell me, no, not family, education. Education is the most important thing because family comes and goes. Eventually I'll die. And of course he did. He passed away. Uh, but he pushed education. He pushed needs versus wants, you know, and it's also biology. I feel like I grew up so envious of people that had things. The kids had Game Boys. I didn't have any of that stuff. Friends would go to the Knicks game. I'm a big Knicks fan. Friends, we go to the Knicks games. I didn't get to do any of that stuff. I just, I just, uh, my biggest fear in life was being poor, not dying. It's really weird, right? But just being poor. I, I wanted to have money. I wanted security. And now that I do have money, and Dave and I have talked about this, to me, money is not, I can go out and buy a BMW. It's just security. I feel money is just security. It's not wealth. I shop at Walmart. I live at $102,000. Oh, now it's worth $170,000, but bought our house for $102,000. I drive a Hyundai Elantra. That's just how it is to me. So uh, we're going to get more into the money stuff here, but do you know at what age you wanted to be a teacher um, and where did you go to college? Oh boy, this is embarrassing. So most kids grow up and want to be like WWE wrestlers or basketball players. I always wanted to be a teacher. I don't know. I just feel like teachers were there for me in high school. Um, I remember teachers actually got a, a Facebook message a couple of weeks ago from a teacher that I messaged three years ago, just saw it. Um, and I just thanked her for being a good teacher. Um, I went to school in State University of New York at Plattsburgh or SUNY Plattsburgh like down here. You know, we have UNCs and whatnot. We have SUNYs up there, uh, 18 miles from Quebec. Um, major in education, went in there, major in education, left education, got my master's in curriculum instruction in education. So always wanted to be a teacher, always. I always wanted to be a teacher as well. So we have that in common. I decided I wanted to be a teacher in the sixth grade. 
never, never, wow. never changed my mind. Never changed it. Um, no regrets. Uh, I've loved every minute of it. What was your student loan situation like upon graduation? Man, I wish I could remember everything. So, yet again, growing up poor, and this is kind of surprising because uh, I listen to so many podcasts now about student loans. I really thought I was going to go to college for totally free. I was like, no dad, you know, mom's on welfare, one bedroom apartment, I'm going for free. Little do I know that's not the case. Um, I, I definitely had loans. I would say probably maybe only $15,000 of loans for undergrad. And Plattsburgh was probably maybe 15000 a year. So times four, it's not bad. Um, I remember, luckily for me, that I that they gave me so much extra loans. And I remember having to cross out the extra $3,000 a year they wanted me to take. Now, what made me do that? I don't know. I think someone just told me, don't take out too much. Now, not to be funny, I wish you can go back in time and take out all those loans and put it in the stock market. But 18 years old, I wasn't really into it, even though my nine and 12 year old have a Roth IRA and I'm trying to educate them on it. And Dave, you do that too. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, around $15,000 in loans. Was there any teacher that you had growing up? I know you said that you've had some really inspiring teachers and that you knew you wanted to be a teacher early, but did you ever have a teacher that talked personal finance with you and gave you any tips or pointers, or is this just something that you kind of, you know, you picked up some stuff from grandpa. Is it stuff that was more trial and error? So grandpa never talked finance either. So I'll tell you what happened, which is a really weird story. My grandfather had diabetes. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail because I don't want to like gross your people there, your audience out. But long story short, he was in the bathroom and uh, he strained his eyes and went blind uh, for two years. Um, and I had to manage his, um, I had to manage his, his money, write checkbooks, or sorry, write checks, balance a checkbook. This is back in the day when people balanced it. Um, he was so crazy that he would actually get the checks returned to him. Um, I mean, he just having that really helped me out quite a bit but I hate to say it man no one taught me about money like it's surprising and not to get off topic too much I talked to a lot of teachers at my school whose family has money and has 401ks and Roth IRAs and I was like do you have one no well your parents have one they haven't taught you about it no I just think they they're gonna eventually just leave me some money I guess so I I don't know I, I think it's so important especially that financial literacy class that, you know, we talked about teaching and I know Jordan may want me to teach a section or two of it as well. So. At what point did you become really interested in financial literacy and start setting goals for building wealth? When, when did that happen? When did that start? And, and, and why did it start? What was it that triggered it? So I read, I read David Box, the automatic, uh, is it Automatic Millionaire? Yeah, Automatic, Automatic Millionaire. And that book just fascinated me. Um, I've always been frugal. And, and, and yet again, Dave and I have talked about it. I could be, I think, a billionaire one day, and I think I'll still try to save more money. Because uh, you have that mindset, man. You're a saver. And it's hard to go from a saver to a spender. Um, just knowing that we had teachers at Jordan. I'm going to give a shout out, actually, to Lanny Louder. I'm going to, I can drop his name. It's okay. Lee Ladder is one of the greatest teachers at Jordan High School ever. And he said, just put 25. He was a good old boy from Albemire, North Carolina. And he said, just put $25 a month and it'll grow. Little by little, it'll grow. And it did, but it grew really small. And then obviously, as you put more money in and more money in, and it grows faster and faster. And I'm so excited that one of my student teachers who works at Jordan, his birthday was yesterday. 
And he finally opened up a Roth IRA a couple of days ago with a company called Betterment. It's a robo-advisor. And I just gave him today, I bought him a mug that said Betterment on it. So I want him to realize when he becomes really wealthy one day, you know, we, we've talked about this and so forth. So I think it's so important to pay it forward and, you know, push, put, teach people to invest. A lot of people have different strategies with budgeting. Uh, it sounds like your strategy might just be don't spend any money. Uh, sounds like you're the opposite <laughs> of Brandon. Brandon has said many times on the show that he likes to spend money. Uh, we're going to, we're going to talk more about that in another episode so for you, do you feel guilty when you spend money? Do you have a budgeting style like zero based or Brandon loves? I believe it's the 50, 30, 50, 20, 30 20. Uh, What style yeah. do you have? Or is it just don't spend any money? So I, I literally, uh, so I have a, a, I'm going old school. I'm going before Google. So I have an Excel sheet that I budget with. And every three or four days, I check my bank account. I put a little X if the money's come out of my account. And I say, this is how much money we have. This is what we could use. This is what we can budget. If I'm like, if today I go on it, and for some reason I'm $8 over or $8 under, I guess, I'll move $8 into my savings account. So I try to keep it exact. Um, like I said over and over, you know, I think you've got to keep a budget. And, and people always say, like, you know, people I talk to like, wait, what do you mean you can't go and buy this right now? You and your wife together make decent money. But it's not part of our budget. You know, this is probably more for part two, but we try to live off of one income. We try to invest the rest of our money. And every time we get an increase, I know our governor he is hoping to give us a, hopefully a 10% increase. We're still going to live on the same thing we have today. That extra 10% we get, hopefully, that's going to be part of the investments. Or, you know, so like I said before, I, I'm a big fan of budgeting. I don't know how some people don't budget. I hear there's one, there's one podcast, a million dollar po- millionaires podcast. Some of these people don't budget. That stresses me out. Totally stresses me out. So obviously you're on this show for a reason because you're passionate about personal finance. You've done quite well with your finances, you and your wife, both being North Carolina teachers. But can you think of any money mistakes or regrets that you have that stand out uh, when you look back and say, okay, I've done really well with money, but man, that one time I, I really screwed up. Can you share that with the audience? So I'm from New York City and New York City we are upstate New York. I went to college. I don't want to offend anyone because I love the South. My, my buddies are fishers down here. I live out in the country, right? We, we have a DSL where I live, believe it or not, but right now we're on the, uh, on the hot spot. So up North, we call people townies, right? And I know down here, it's not a nice thing to say, but like we call them like people like supposedly rednecks, right? Which I love all people. So a couple of years ago, I had a moment and uh, I bought the biggest piece of crap car you could buy. It was just not a good car to buy. I bought a 1988 Firebird. This thing had so many electrical issues. I could, I bought it for 1200 bucks and I put $3,000 into it and sold it a year later at $2,000. <laughs> one headlight be up, one would go down while I'm driving, it'd go off. The lights inside would turn on and off. I, that was an impulsive buy. The guy, the guy met me from Craigslist. I fell in love with the car. I drove it maybe 20 times my whole life. And that was it. That was the worst thing I ever bought. That's the only thing I have to say that I bought and I regret buying. 100%. That is, that is amazing that that's the best regret you could come up with. <laughs> if, if I was sitting in your, in your seat and Dave would have asked me the same question, that could have been the whole show probably <laughs> as that answer. Um, but any, 
anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, but, but I'm, you, uh, well, I will say, but that Firebird was a nice car, though. It was, you know what I'm saying? T- the T tops and everything. Oh. 1988, it was. Yeah. I mean, 1988. <laughs> I, I mean, who could resist? It might have been worth a thousand dollar loss or whatever it was. Um, I did want to ask you a question. You, you've mentioned your wife a few times. Um, and this has become kind of a theme on the show. Uh, and, and that is just talking about um, what the relationship is between you and your wife in terms of the conversations that you guys have and being on the same page. What, what does that look like? What do those conversations look like when you're talking about your financial future, present budgets, things like that? That's a great question. I'll tell you why it's a great question. Um, I really do feel if you're not on the same page as your partner, you're not going to be financially independent. I really do. Um, My wife is just now I'll give you a two second backstory about her. She grew up relatively poor, one of four. Uh, Our dad's a dairy farmer upstate New York. Um, I mean, her first car, when, you know, she would get to a stop sign, the car would turn off. Um, you know, she's just, that, that's just the mentality she has. Uh, even nowadays, sometimes she'll say, oh, I like these pants. Go buy them. How much are they? $25. Go buy them. I can get a cheaper pair at Walmart. I mean, like, she's just very frugal. We, we kind of all are. We, and this goes back to, I think, our upbringing. Um, I'm no better than anyone else. I say that over and over again. And that's why even I feel bad about buying that Firebird because, you know, I, I bought it because I wanted to look cool and have fun and go fast. But there are people out there who don't even have cars. And I wasted $3,000 on a car. So I really feel like I think money, like I said, is a security blanket. It, it makes you financially free if you have it. But I also feel like I've seen people change who they are and I never want to change who I am, neither does she. And we're always on the same page about things. We've had discussions about our kids for college. We want them to take out loans. We want them to learn financial. We took out loans. We want them to take out loans. We want them to understand what it's like to be independent and so forth. So, you know, we, we try to do that. They already have a bank account. Like I said before, you know, today or a couple of days ago, my son bought Tic Tac Gums. It took a dollar or Tic Tac Gum. It took a dollar 33 out of his bank account. If he wants to buy something, he has that responsibility. So the whole house, we pushed that over and over again. So you've been teaching 17, 18 years. Uh, your wife, has she been teaching the same amount of time? Same amount of time. It's funny you asked that because we went for a walk today. I am not, her and I are number seven or six in seniority at my school. So you started fairly young. Weren't you 21 when you guys started? So you're teaching at a high school at 21. What does that look like for you when it comes to retirement? Obviously you're passionate about teaching. We can't really say what the future holds, but at what age are you going to be eligible in North Carolina to retire, collect a pension, and have health care for the rest of your life? What does that age look like? 49 and a half. I've already contacted DPI, uh, you know, NC uh, orbits and whatnot. Um, I actually thought, and I've gone into fights on Facebook, and you've seen this tape, you thought I had to wait till I was 50. But nope, if you have 28 years and all your sick leave, and I've been doing this 18 years, I've taken four or five sick leave. Knock on wood, you know, no sick leave ever, I've ever been. I think I was legitimately sick three or four times, but um, I would like to, I really would like to maybe retire for a nine and a half and do something with finances. Really would. Um, you know, I, I love teaching. I said that before, we've all talked about, I love teaching, but as you know, I love traveling. I have a travel club at my school. I went to Japan two years ago. I love traveling all over. And, and I know people say, you guys have so much time off. 
but it's dictating time. I want to wake up on a, in a September morning and say, you know what, two days from now, I want to go to Prague. I mean, that's where I want to get to. So, so does your wife have the same mentality? Does she want to retire at 49 and a half or 50, or do you think she'll go a little bit longer? I think my wife wants to retire today. Um, <laughs> I, I will say I think she does want to retire, um, but my wife has very different views than I do. She wants to get an RV and travel America. And I said, honey, there's only so many Walmarts and Dollar Trees you could see in America, but we'll, we'll probably end up doing that as well. Um, but I think she will go a little longer, to be honest with you, because she has goals that after she teaches, she's, she's an EC teacher, that she can actually do a lot of contract work as well. Um, make pretty good money per hour doing that. So outside the pitch, and you know, let's fast forward. Let's pretend that you and your wife are 50 years old. You know, every state's a little bit different. I would assume that you and your wife are going to be looking at somewhere around, you know, maybe $35,000 a year a piece in retirement. So both of you could technically go out at 50. So if you're making $35,000 a year in retirement, she's making 35000 You guys are now making $70,000 a year, and you could sit on your butt if you want to, or you could go out and you could get another job. Are you doing anything else besides just waiting for the, the golden handcuffs of the pension to invest for your future? And we're going to talk specifically about investments in part two of the episode, but what are you and your wife investing in as far as do you believe in Roth IRAs or a traditional IRA, or do you have a 457 or 403B? What do you and your wife do outside of the pension? So you're asking the most talkative guy in your show probably ever to, um, you know, not talk too much for part uh, two. Um, since we're teachers and, the, and there's no match, uh, at least in my county, there's no match. It's, it's not like we're working for a company. I think the Roth IRA is the first place you got to go, in my mind. Um, uh, reason being is, yet again, you know, I use Vanguard. I think Vanguard is the king of kings. Even if you look at robo-advisors and whatnot, they use Vanguard ETFs. Uh, I was just listening to a podcast a minute ago. Vanguard manages, if I'm not mistaken, $7 trillion. Second is Fidelity at $5 trillion. So, I mean, Vanguard's the, the, the key of all things. Um, then we also do, so she has a Roth. I have my Roth. We max that out every year. We do have a 457. Uh, we also have a 401k. So we do put money in there. We try to max, we try to max it out. Um, we live on one salary. Try to live on one salary. We do a pretty good job on that. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's been pretty easy, especially during COVID. It hasn't been that many bills of late as well. Well, my kids are getting older. Braces are coming. Cars are coming. Car insurance is going to be coming. So I don't know how long I'll be able to do that, but I'm going to squeeze it as long as I can. I want to circle back to something that you said that um, is different from others that we've talked to on the show. And uh, that is, you mentioned that you want your children to take out a student loan if they go to college. Now, that's different. And, um, and so I would imagine that uh, obviously there's no right and wrong answers um, when it comes to, well, there might be some wrong answers, but there's a lot of right answers, though, for sure. Uh, if you would, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, because obviously you've been really um, successful, and we're going to find out more about that, I think, in the second episode, but you've been really successful. Um, with your finances, you and your wife have. Uh, and so obviously you want to raise your kids in a way that, that, that prepares them to be, to have success as well. Talk to us a little bit about the principles that you raise your children with when it comes to finances. I think that would be fascinating. So I'll tell you a funny story. A couple of days ago, I had my wallet out. I think my son saw I had like $40 in my wallet and he asked me, 
he goes, we have $40. And I, and I like that because yet again, I, and Dave and I've talked about this too. I don't think money should be a taboo subject. And I, I think Dave, you said that you're surprised how open I am, even though really we've never met in person. Um, but I think it's, it's about trust. It's about education. Um, I'm no different if I have more money than other people. Um, we try to stay humble. Like I said before, um, my, my kids, so I'll tell you why I think they need to take out loans. And I didn't say, well, I, so I did say I'm not going to pay up front, but if they're successful, productive members of society, you know, we'll definitely help them out as well. But I will say this, I've seen too many students as a high school teacher, mom and dad pay for college and the kid fails out the first or second semester. Um, I've seen that. Number two, and I actually called Dave about one of your podcasts. A lot of people really like the 529 plan. I think it's a great plan, by the way. Vanguard manages, I think, in North Carolina. Uh, and this is another hour podcast about my philosophy. Even though I have a degree and a master's degree, I don't think college is for everyone. Um, I would love if my kids go to a two-year school, become dental hygienist. I'd love if my kids learn how to code. My daughter in middle school, uh, we put her in the um, Coding for Girls um, program. So I, I think college, and this is the problem that I have a lot, I think college is becoming more checkbox in many ways. And there's a study done recently, it was like 82% of people don't even have a job dealing with their major. So maybe my kids won't go to college. Maybe Bernie Sanders will one day become president. College will be free, right? I don't know. I just, I also had an uncle growing up who said, you can always take out a loan for college, but you can never take a loan out for your retirement. I think that stuck with me too. So, yeah, I think it goes back to uh, just like being on an airplane. You know, you've got the stewardess before you take off, going through all the the safety things. And if you lose cabin pressure, oxygen, you know, they say to put the mask on you before you put the mask on anyone else. And I think it's the same way when it comes to your retirement. I've seen a lot of parents sacrifice for private lessons, whether it be music or sports and camps, banking on their kid getting a scholarship. Uh, and their kid going to maybe a private school, even though they don't know the difference between public or private, and they sacrifice everything. They pick up two, three, or four jobs so their kids can have uh, no student loan debt, but then the parents have to move in with their kids because they can't afford their lifestyle anymore one day down the road. So what a great gift uh, for parents if they can provide for their kids' education. But I struggle with the same thing, Chad, where I think about one of my biggest fears, and I, I didn't grow up with money either. We weren't on, on welfare or food stamps or WIC, but you know, we lived off of one income. My mom stayed at home. My dad worked in a factory uh, and they had a family of four. We grew up with one shower in our house. I, didn't, I never knew what a master bedroom was until I moved to North Carolina and met my wife, who was a real estate agent. I didn't know that there were parents that had their own private you know, shower and toilet in their bedroom. Um, but I, I'm very worried about my kids being spoiled. I don't want them to feel entitled. And, and I've researched lots of different ways of maybe making the kids take out student loans. And then if they do well, maybe not even telling them that you have a 529 and then forgiving those loans for them, you know, if they've done a good job, or maybe you pay for one semester at a time. Uh, and if, if you don't get at least to be in that class, you know, you owe me money now, or I'm not going to pay for your next semester. But I was a kid that went to college, my family paid for it, and I had no idea about the value of money. And if I knew that hanging over my head was maybe me going to have to pay for that college, I bet you I would have tried two or three times harder than I actually did. That's a really scary thing 
uh, to think about. So you're doing a great job with your kids. I have no doubt about it. Um, they're going to go on and do big things and, and hopefully you can pass the knowledge to them and they'll pass it to their kids one day. Let's get back to educations, uh, speaking with it, but talking about teachers, we often hear that you can't build wealth in education. Brandon likes to talk about the vow of poverty that many of us take when we get uh, our first job as teachers. Do you think that building wealth and education is possible? You're married to a teacher. You're a teacher in North Carolina, and you guys live off of one teacher salary and make a lot of sacrifices. Can we still build wealth? And can our young teachers in America still you know, have financial independence uh, in their future? I'm just, I mean, dude, you had a shower? You're so lucky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had one. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think you can build wealth. Look, do teachers get paid what they deserve? No, obviously not. Um, we have summers off. It's all about mentality, Dave. You know, my, my first three years, I did summer school. My wife and I both did summer school. We did, we hustled. It was 20, I mean, all year we taught and we made money. We put money away, yada, yada, yada. Some teachers, and I'm not criticizing teachers, you know that, because some teachers rightfully say, hey, I teach 10 months a year. I do work on Saturday and Sunday. I do work during the summer. I shouldn't have to work all year long. Um, I definitely think it's feasible. Uh, now, look, are you going to live, you know, are you going to live on a golf course in a, in a really wealthy area as a teacher? Probably not. But are you going to have a job where every day it's going to be different? You're making a difference. You've got insurance. You've got dental. You've got a North Carolina, by the way. And I don't know if you wanted to ask this or not. I know this is not just a North Carolina thing, but I, I do see a lot of people in North Carolina follow you. Our pension's really strong. Our pension's really strong, as you know, and I can say it real quickly because I want to I wrote it down. I want to forget it. You know, you take your highest four years and multiply it by that point zero one eight two, and multiply it by your years. That's pretty good. Like you said, thirty seven, thirty eight thousand dollars a year is not bad money. Um, so I think you could definitely build wealth as long as you're not, you know, spending more than you make, and that's the thing. You know, teachers, by the way, I can't speak for your school, but in my school, common cars are Honda Fits, right? Toyota Corolla. I mean, teachers overall are not known to be big spenders, even if, even if you can afford it, I think, because I think most teachers are pretty modest. I can't imagine bringing a Corvette to school. Every teacher will look at me like I'm crazy. So, How about an 88 Firebird? An 88? Well, I got a lot of crap about that, believe me. They made <laughs> What is Yankee trying to be a Southerner? Uh, yeah, they were kind of getting on me quite a bit about that. But yes, I think you could build wealth. I'll be honest with you, and I, and I got to be careful how I say this because I know I don't want to be offensive. Some people don't make enough money as they should, and you know, including minimum wage, and that's another topic. I think if people make a decent salary, they should be able to put at least $25, $50 a month away. You know, if you could afford a brand new cell phone every so often, say a thousand dollars every year you buy a new cell phone for a thousand dollars you know i my cell phone i think was 99 dollars because it's like four years old or three years old so i do think it's possible to build wealth yes 100%. what are some common mistakes you and 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 I, I don't know if i should say it like this maybe what are some common mistakes that you either see teachers make with their finances or just mistakes that you know they make you know what i'm saying I, like we know oh, Absolutely. We know we know teachers make mistakes with their finances, especially because they already think they can't build wealth, right? And then you know, and I here's how I know that we we make mistakes because 
whenever the conversation comes up, um, we talk about how difficult it is to reset because you already got yourself in trouble now. I'm already, I'm already living on more than I make. And, and so now I have to hit reset, but in order to hit reset, I got to pay off a lot of debt. It's going to take some years, you know, so, so there's mistakes there, of course, there, but, but what kind of, what are some common mistakes that you've noticed in your career? I'll say one thing and, and, and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, oh man, what's the Dave Ramsey guy who wrote the, the millionaires? What was it? Yeah, Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan was, was the number three ranked uh, millionaires, not teachers, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was, was, yeah. It was teachers. Um, got, look, here's the thing. The pension's nice. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I should have said this earlier. I don't plan on a pension or social security in retirement. I know it'll be there. I'm not dumb, but I don't, that'll be extra money. Uh, I'm a big fan of fire movement. I'm a big fan of my thigh number. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I said before, you know, take your, your annual expenses, multiply by 25. Um, that's your fine number with the 4% rule, obviously. And we can talk about that another, another time, but I see a lot of young teachers just don't invest because they are nervous of the stock market or they don't understand. Um, I also think that at school and, and fly does a great job with this. I wish my school would do this. Um, they don't have people to really help them. So I help them. I go to people all the time and I say, and I got to, and by the way, you got to be careful to give financial advice, not, not you, but people in general, because, you know, a lot of people obviously, you know, don't, I'm not a, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a teacher. Um, but I, we opened up a Roth IRA a couple of weeks ago for a guy, put it in a simple target retirement. Our other buddy who I just talked about with the cup, uh, opened up the, the betterment, um, account and so forth. And even when he opened that up, I think he put 80% of his money um, in stocks. And I said, dude, uh -uh, 100% goes in stocks. You're 25 years old. And you also have a pension down the road. So let's be really aggressive. So those are the mistakes I see is like people want to invest, but they just don't open up the account. You know, I'm a big fan um, of literally um, like every company or school having someone like forcing an account to be open and you have to actually like ask to be out of it. You know, I'm a big fan of that. Um, the reason I opened up my kids' Roth IRA is because they actually do have earned income with grandpa and the farm. But I know the fact that at least they have it open, they can put money into it. So I don't think investing should be that scary. Like I said before, the target retirement, the robo-advisors, set it and forget it. No longer do you have to go to the Edward Jones. One last thing I will say, and Fly and I talked about this, I had a teacher a couple of years ago open an account up put like 500 bucks a month in it and literally made no money for like three years because they never invested in it. It was in their money market account, but they never actually put it in like a mutual fund or an index fund or an ETF. So that's the stuff that I think that schools, and to be honest with you, schools need to do a better job with that. And I think personally, another thing that teachers struggle with, and I know that I struggled with it, you know, this stuff for me, I'm 38. I really didn't start this journey of being as passionate about the personal finance that I am now, maybe until 33. This has been maybe five, six years, but teachers have access to a 401k, which we're going to talk about this in episode two. You have a 401k, you have a 403b, you have a 457. Uh, you also, because you have earned income, can put money either into a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. And I would say that the average teacher has no clue what the difference is between those four or five things. 
They don't know how much they can put in per year. They don't know the rules of eligibility and when you can take it out in mandatory withdrawals and things like things like that. So that's kind of my passion. Again, I am not a certified financial planner at all. I'm just a government teacher, an economics teacher that has a passion to help share the knowledge for other people. And I can't wait to get to episode two a little bit later where we get into all the details of this. And I think the episode that we have with you in part two should be a must listen to any new teacher or any teacher in any state, uh, specifically North Carolina, just to, to break it down on an elementary school level. So I'm really excited about that. But we all make mistakes. Teachers make mistakes. So do doctors in, in other professions. Um, I don't want to get into a whole lot of your personal life right now because it is private uh, and we have people we know listening. But you're a smart guy and you're a planner. You're a saver. Let me fast forward. You're, you're 38 now, I believe, right? I'm old, man. I'm old. Yeah, we're the nice. same age. We're both 38. When you look at projections, when you're 60 years old, what do you think your net worth is looking like if nothing catastrophic happens? If things are just the status quo, they're going along as they are now, what are you looking at at 60? So I've actually sat down and done this before uh, on my little Google sheet. Um, if, if we keep getting what we get, not including 10% raises, hopefully, you know, yet again, and I'm very modest, by the way, I always put in. 7% return in the stock market. With all due respect to other people, I don't do the whole 12% or even 10%. I put 7%, which I know I'll get more than 7%. Um, our goal, because like I said, I will work after I retire from teaching. Um, I would love to be around between three and five mil. Three to five million. I would love that. Um, it's a good goal. That it's is an a outstanding good goal. goal. And, um, you know, given... Uh, you know, I've just met you. Um, and just given everything that I've heard just now, uh, it's a realistic goal. Yeah. It's a realistic goal. It's, it's, it's something that you and your wife will probably make happen. And um, I think that that mindset is, is the mindset that sometimes, not just teachers, but people who are middle income, we're missing that mindset, that we can really set those kind of numbers, those kind of goals and, and pursue them um, if we want to. You know, if that's a goal that we want to want to pursue, um, you know, I, I can't wait for next week. I'm looking forward to hearing you break down, you know, how you ask, because, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm brand new at all this, really. You know, I, I started even later than Dave. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to learn. I'm going to have my notepad out, too, and I'm going to be listening. I've always said that if I wasn't uh, helping Dave with this podcast, I'd be a listener because uh, I learn something every week. And uh, I'm looking forward to next week, Chad, for sure. Looking at three to five million at 60 and in the next 22 years and knowing you, I bet it's more than that. Um, being honest, a lot of people associate millionaires or multimillionaires, which you're going to be with a silver spoon and an inheritance. I know you said that you grew up on government assistance. Has there been any sort of a windfall that you, you, you or your wife stepped into money, lottery winnings, or, you know, it was that scratch uncle. off, wasn't it? It was that scratch off <laughs> the rich <laughs> uncle, or did, did you find like, you know, a briefcase with a million dollars in the trunk of the, uh, the firebird. Is this stuff that you've done all on your own or was there any sort of help there, just for transparency? There has, there has been no, um, no, I'm, uh, I wish, I wish I can say that there was some help. Um, but no. Um, and, and to be honest with you guys, I don't want help. I never did. Um, you know, I always dreamed if I was wealthy, 
to be on the cover of like Fortune magazine or something like that. Not some, you know, some schmo that inherited money or someone who even won the lottery. Like I believe in, as we call it, earned income. Uh, I like to work for the dollar. You know, maybe I'm old school, which is probably bad, but um, I'm a hard worker, not a smart worker sometimes. I haven't figured out the system. Maybe I should. Um, but no, um, no. I mean, like I said before, and you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with our kids. It's like, you know, my mom was pretty laid back with me. And I think she got lucky growing up in New York City that I turned out really well. And I hate to say it, but she was laid back with me. I'm kind of hard on my kids. I'm more strict than my kids. And the reason I use that analogy is I sometimes realize that I became such a hard worker because I didn't have anything growing up. And my fear is that my kids do have stuff. And sometimes I say, do you know how lucky you are to have the stuff you have and you don't work as hard as you should? So, so that goes back to the college loans. It's like, they need to be financially responsible. They need to figure this out because I'm, I'm worried. And Dave and I've talked about this. Even when I go to the Dollar Tree, I always pick up something for them for a dollar. Now, a dollar is not a lot of money, obviously, but you're still giving them something. Right? I remember being a kid, I got something for my birthday and, and, and usually for Christmas. Hanukkah, Christmas, and Easter. Yeah, we're Jewish, but we still got Easter gifts. I don't know why. We, we like Easter. Okay, so I mean, we got gifts. That was, it. that was it. We didn't go to Walmart and get things. We didn't go to Target and get things. We rarely got things. That was it. Well, this is going to be such a treat uh, to reveal to our listeners some of the basics of investing, and you have a wealth of knowledge with it. I could see you being a, a certified financial planner when you get out of education, I have no doubt about it, but we are so appreciative, Chad, of having you come on for episode and part one. And thank you for joining us this week on the Fit Educator Podcast. We hope you join us for next week's episode as we are going to be talking about investing 101 for teachers and some of the basics to really break it down for you and help you out as you begin your journey and plant your seeds. But remember that someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. And if you like the show, please consider subscribing, leaving us a five-star review to help grow our reach. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Financially Independent Teachers. Until next time, everybody, take care.